beautiful line from the Buddha. The original Pali word is Yathabhutta. And has been translated as to see things as they are. Actually, it's to understand the mind as it is. To understand how the mind, patience of the mind, and to be able to harness its strength and to moderate and tame it. Okay? Now, we're going to start with something relatively simple, but it's beautiful. One of my most beautiful, uh, one of my favorites, sorry, one of my favorite Dhammapada verse, verses. Manu Pupagama Dhammo, Dhamma, Mano Seta, Mano Maya. This verse comes in two parts. Are you familiar with that? Dhammapada, are you familiar with it? Dhammapada. Dhammapada is a collection of verses with stories. Today we have the stories tagged to these verses. The verses were original Buddha. He, he talked about them. Stories, we don't know how they came about. Okay? But in most cases, the, the verses are beautiful and the stories give you a deeper meaning, a deeper feel for, of the verses. And it also helps you to remember the teaching. Sometimes you can remember the, the story, you don't remember the exact verse, but you kind of roughly know what it says. That's the idea, for you to remember what that teaching is. Okay? Now, it comes in two parts. Huh? There, are, there are two verses which are similar. This one and this one. You'll find that the bulk of which is identical, put them to, the two of them side by side. This is the first verse and this is the second verse okay and it reads like this the mind precedes all mental states mind is chief mind made are they if one speaks or acts with an evil mind conversely one speaks or acts with a pure mind suffering follows him like the will that follows the foot of the ox or if you speak with a pure mind happiness follow you Follow him like a never departing shadow. At the first read, in fact, if you know the story, you will assume or you will conclude, you will conclude that this is about karma. It's about action. What you do, the motivations behind what you do and how you speak and what you think, because of that motivation, you undertake an action the result of which is pain, if that motivation was evil, unwholesome, not beneficial. If your motivations were pure, wholesome, beneficial, then you reap positive results, the benefits like happiness. Sounds simple, right? Pretty straightforward. What's so difficult about this stanza, yes? You're waiting for punchlines for silent. 
Yes? Sounds obvious, isn't it? I mean, you, you do good, you get good, you do bad, you get bad. This is basically the idea. How many of you actually observe these two, stand, these two lines? This one, this, the one that says, mind precedes all mental states, mind is chief, mind made nothing. That is the crux of this stanza. So I'm going to talk about this stanza in three parts, which I will elaborate in a while. But in these three parts, we will start with the easiest one, the one about karma. I find the analogy introduced, the imagery introduced by the Buddha, truly interesting. You see, the first one says, if you speak or act with an evil mind, suffering follows like the will that follows the foot of the ox. This is an agricultural society that the Buddha was dealing with. In that world, everyone sees farming, farming analogies everywhere. The, the farmer who goes to the field, who has to deal with the ox, who, I'm not a farmer obviously, so my capacity to explain the range of farm work is limited. But you can imagine just on this one alone, the ox trudging along, the wheel that follows after him. Can you just hear the sound of the creaking wheel? Can you just, even if you have never been to a farm, and the odds are you have never been to a farm, and the odds are even greater you have never worked in a farm, but in, you can just imagine as the poor ox pull the wheel creak behind. The idea here, and it's a powerful idea if you can, if you can imagine it, eh, is Dukkha will stare you in the face. When you are experiencing pain, when you're experiencing discomfort, you can't get away from it. And you are aware of every painful touch. Whether it's a mental pain or physical pain, as long as it's unpleasant and it's painful, you will feel every bit of it. If you're not a practitioner, isn't it? Ah, uh, Noah. You don't feel it. You are so detached. You don't really feel it. Yeah? Yes? Yes or no? Do you, if, if you are feeling pain, physical or mental, someone passed away, some, your dog passed away, so painful, do you feel it intensely? Yes? And whether you sit, you stand, you try and distract yourself, you watch television, at the back of your mind, it's there. The more intense it is, the more it demands mind space. And the more you try not to think of it, the more it's there. So the Buddha's analogy, Dukkha follows him like the will that follows the foot of the ox. Can you see how powerful it is? Every step follows by every creak. Every step. And that will dox him. So that's how feeling, that's how you feel with regards to Dukkha. 
And the point here for the second part is to try and register with people do not do evil. Because when you do, the results are not pretty. And you will feel every bite. That's the idea. Okay? Then let's come to pure, pure act, pure mind. This one, the analogy, oh sorry, the imagery, is a shadow. How many of you last saw your shadow this morning? When was the last time you were aware of your shadow? When? Today, <laughs> It's not the sun, the light. <laughs> All you need, all you need is light. I, I do do this, do this. Okay. So the idea here, the idea here, is when you are happy, you sometimes don't even realize it. You see that? But when you are in pain, the whole world knows. Ayah, ayo, ayah, alama, sal. But when you are having some degree of pleasure and delight and happiness, not necessarily that the whole world knows. It's only when you want to boast about it. Otherwise, the whole world doesn't know. And you are not even aware of it until it's almost finished already. Then you regret a lot, finished already. You see what I'm saying? He was in just that two lines. Two imageries capture the reaction, the experience of the average mind. And the beauty of the second one is it doesn't matter whether you know it or not, it's there. You will experience it. The happiness will come. It will morph, it will grow, it will spread in you. And it was always there. So that's the incentive for watching out for how your mind acts or speaks. The motivations behind what's there. Okay? But it's not the interesting thing. The interesting thing is the first two lines. Let me show you something here. This is, I have no idea where. We took this picture from the internet. Downstream, the choices that you make, the way you react. This is what was said earlier about if you were to do something with the wrong intention, you will experience the consequences. Okay, this I consider downstream. Why is it downstream? Because By the time you act, you would have thought about it, yes? Or you would have a mental experience about it? Actually, then the question is, why do you act like that? Why do you see like that? You will act according to how you see, how you read, how you conclude. Example, I'm going to give you an example. I expect that you will shout out the answer with, Great enthusiasm. Okay? You are now in a foreign land, because begging out loud here, so you're now in a foreign land, 
And someone came up to you, disheveled, smells, very dirty, etc. Came up to you and asked you for handout, money. Some of you will look and then just give. Some of you will look and run. Some of you will look and judge or do You see what I'm saying? Some of you not only judge, tell others also. A lot of views, a lot of thoughts. There will be all these diverse reactions. The question is why? Why is it some will just react and give? Not too much, not too many words. Some will judge. Some will complain. Others will just write in to don't know who. <laughs> Must complain of this kind. The question is why? What are you? Where do you fit? And it's never a concern. Eh? Maybe initially you give. After a while, the next one that came along, well, I give already, must give you also. Or maybe you give, and then you give, and then you get fed up. The question is why? And that is what I call predisposition and perceptions. You see, how we react to any situation is already certain predisposition that sits in your mind. If you are someone who is narrow-minded, stingy, or careful, let's not call people stingy, let's just careful. You're very careful with your money, you're very careful with all kinds of things. And because you're careful, you will eye the world, you will see the world from that angle. In your world, in your mind, in your world, because this is how you see the world, in that mind, the world is just like that. Huh? People can will eat you. Because people will eat you, we must eat them first. Huh? Then even if we don't want to eat them, we must run away before they come. Huh? You see what I'm saying? There are certain predispositions, a certain way you see the world, which leads to you, your colour, this is how it colors your world. And because of that color, you will react. Anyone comes to you, you will say, no, no, what? Money grow on tree, seriously. Or if you, diametrical opposite, you have always been happy, cheerful, giving, level mind. It makes me happier. Every time I give, I'm very happier. So it doesn't matter if there is a string of people lining up to collect money from you. You're very happy to just, you want, you want, you want, and you go on and on, okay? And you're very happy doing that. Why? Because in your mind, we are all the same. We are all the same. We're all suffering together. Let's help. So that becomes the way you see the world. If someone comes to you and asks for help, they need the help. That's how you think. When you put these two together in a room, it's wonderful what will happen. Candidate number one will say, you gullible. Right? Right, right. Candidate number one, you, you know who you are. Candidate number two will say, but I'm happy. Eh? You are skeptical. Yeah? You think about it. You, you know in your life there are all kinds of people who belong to the either categories which are extreme and in between everyone else, including yourself. You're probably in between. Meaning between these two extremes. 
the super gullible and the super skeptical. And you, we are all lined up in between. Yes? I, w- I need you to be aware of this because this is what the Buddha said about mind is the forerunner of all things. The world, all things actually means the world as you experience it. And it is in your mind, how you see the world, how you react to the world. It's in your mind that it creates that world. What that world is, how you see it, how you experience it, it all depends on what your mind says. If your mind has, for whatever reason, gathered, collected an entire history of hurt, regret, anger, and then you decide the world, everyone out there is a shark with the things that go at them. If you, because of whatever experience, conclude so, then whatever that comes from outside, you will interpret it according to your prism, your lens. And based on the lens, you will react, you will respond. And guess what? Comes true. Because you believe that people are out to, people are not nice. If you believe that people are not nice, People only have to say to you, excuse me, what? <laughs> because you believe they're not nice, ma. For no reason, you say, excuse me, what, what, what you want? Your response is negative. You see that? And the other guy who so innocently was just going to ask you the way to the restroom, now bristled up and he's going to fight you. Why you say me, what? And then it goes. So in our practice, to be told that the mind has the capacity to shape the world and see the world accordingly, you you decide what it should be, you tell yourself what it should be, you react accordingly. To be told that actually means if you accept it, then you have to rewrite, change the way change the way you tell yourself story. And that is what it, it's meant in this practice about transforming the way we think. So that you can change the way you see the world and react to the world. Okay? I got one more level. There is actually one more level. It's the deeper psyche. What's deep in there? What is deep in there is harder to change. It is the result of, it's the accumulation of the lessons, the experiences, this life or of a different time that you have, that has been accumulated. And then it kind of affects the way you, you behave. So for instance, huh, the guy who is skeptical, why is he skeptical to begin with? Don't know. Because baby come out usually not skeptical one. No? When a baby was born, the odds are 
you may feel not skeptical, quite easy. You give him sweet, he take. You give him milk, he take. He does it. Are you sure this milk? Can you like test it first? Drink, drink first. Show me his milk. <laughs> I'm not so convinced. White, white doesn't mean milk. Eh? You get what I'm saying? Some, so along the way, people learn things. Okay? The point about this is the mind is complex. Sometimes it's hard to explain. It takes a long time to figure out. But it doesn't matter. We deal with what we can. And over time, if we deal with what we can, over time, even this one will change. Okay? So you start with the easiest, the first line, where how you, how you react. How you react in a situation. That one you can control or you can try. Your instinct may be, your predisposition is skeptical. Maybe. But you can contain that and you say, okay, never mind, never mind, put it aside. You need help, I'll do it. You do that, you're making an effort. If you don't do that, if you don't make an effort, then your world remains like that. If it's a dark one, it remains dark. And even when it has turned into something brighter, you still don't get it. That is why you can have people living in good families, having very intelligent, dutiful, very quiet children who make their beds and clean the floor, and still the parents complain. Also gone. Or you can have vice versa. The parent wanting to buy the house or the kid and they keep beat up the parents because not happy. Why your house is small? <laughs> you see what I'm saying? At that level, you can change. It is possible. The reaction, it means controlling your own instincts sometimes. Your, the mind that talks and shapes this world, you have to control that one. And it's part of the Buddha's teaching in terms of trying to control that. Okay? So this is the easy part. This is the easy part of the talk. We're going into the next half. For those of you who are not awake yet, do you need to take a break? A break is early. Because the next half, I won't stop. Okay, we continue. The mind. <laughs> when you are asleep or when you are after lunch, when it's after lunch, the mind. Okay? Okay. Do you know what this is? Six sense spaces. What is it? And this is Q and A. Ah. I Q you A. <laughs> what is this? Six sense spaces. Trying to wake people up. Huh? No, so complex first. Six only, not twelve. Six first. I, ear, nose, touch. Touch is body. Taste. What's number six? Well done. The faculties. Okay? The six sense spaces. You know all these things. You walk around with them. 
in case you don't realize. They're always there, yes? Okay. But they, you only know of their presence when you have this one. An object out there, for you, for your sense organs to interact with. Okay? Between the two, contact with a consciousness, there is an experience. I'm going very slow here, I know. Because I think we don't pay enough attention to this. In our practice, in our practice, on this path, this is the start point. And this is a point, this, this is something that every one of us experience day in, day out. As long as you are awake, there is an interaction between your sense organs and the external environment as well as the internal environment. That is why you have thoughts. The, the consciousness part, the mind part, is the internal environment. And that can be as real as the external one. Let me give you an example. Huh? All of you think of Chakwetia. Thinking of Chakwetia or just laughing at my analogy? I feel really insulted. Leh. <laughs> All of you think of Tommy also care, whatever. All of you think of Chakwitya. Oh, maybe I should say chicken rice lah, for the international audience. Chicken rice. Can you think of it? It's not here in front of you. But you, can you remember the taste? The smell? The sight of it? That's your internal, the internal object. So there is an external object which is there in reality, in real life, real time. And there is at any one time, 24, 7, 3, 6, 5, no holiday intended, you can bring it up. And the entire teaching is based on fixing this process. Huh? It starts with this part. With the connection between your sense organs plus an object, if the consciousness is there, there is contact. Following the contact, you give it a name. It's called labeling. Yes? What is this? Mug, cup, anything. I'm very chinchaiwan. That ability to identify and label is perception. Sanya. So you have contact, you have consciousness, you have labeling, which is Sanya, and now you have a feeling with a drop S. Sometimes got feelings, sometimes a lot of feelings. Okay? Feelings. It's always like this. See something, hear something, taste something, see, um, experience something, it touched you. Smell, there's a contact, you label their feelings. And the feeling goes like this. Some object triggers pleasant feeling, some object unpleasant, 
some neither nor neither pleasant nor painful slash unpleasant yes for you if you are normal it should be one of the three if it's always one not the others you either on drugs you're always happy or you need Prozac because you're always sad everything also painful everything also <sighs> very sad okay when it is pleasant the automatically you automatically will delight in the sensation and then you say I want more yes or no I'm not describing anything new here am I and when it is unpleasant it, you 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 feel awful about it you don't want it also normal right okay neither nor what happens what, what do you think happens at the neither nor indifference okay depends no sometimes you want sometimes you don't why do I say that you don't have very strong views but it's usually one or the other you don't have very strong views okay okay I have that have that so one the one but no very strong views and depending on how strong you may have dukkha or not up until this point I'm not saying anything new am I in fact some of you are already getting bored why doesn't she get to the point huh because right now you still can't handle the point now we go slow first this is nothing new but this is what you have to know this part of the equation this is where your thoughts arise when we talk about thoughts mind made are things this is where they start meaning to say sorry ah huh? sorry because of the thoughts I want I don't want that's where the craving begin because of the craving there lies the results this is the part that changes for people for most people in fact not most for for all people for all beings for all alive beings that doesn't count for all beings this is a mechanical process meaning you have the organ that functions if your organ doesn't function doesn't count so if the organ functions there is an object you put a consciousness there there will be contact label and feeling this is a mechanical process this is a part no one can change you understand so in your meditation you're trying to figure out this process no need to try so hard it's like that it is this part this part that needs fixing pleasant or unpleasant will trigger your thoughts why because when it is pleasant automatically the instinct is I want more I like 
I enjoy, I want more. If it's unpleasant, the instinct is get it away, take it away. And the thoughts will start rolling from there. Whatever brings delight, sorry, whatever brings a pleasant sensation will lead to you delighting. The point is, on the mechanical part, there's nothing you can do. Your brain works like this. But on the subjective part, that's where you can react and decide how you want to react. So this practice is about fixing this half, not this half. Aya. Hmm. This half. <laughs> it's fixing this half. Uh, sorry, it's fixing this half. You almost like catch like, like this, okay? It's fixing this half. I should not run the mouse too fast, it could take me. And not this part. Do you understand that? So when you go on retreat, do not spend your time going contact, contact, contact. There's nothing you can do about contact. It's after contact, what do you do? Okay? This is a mental process you need to know. And if you sit down there and say, I know already, I also can do. Okay, next one you do. You, you think you know. And we all think we know. But then how is it we still dukkha so much? Leh? Actually, what the Buddha said to, to see and understand, the very basic of it is to get this map in. To understand there are certain mechanical parts, to, sorry, to know there are certain mechanical parts, and there are some parts where the thoughts come in already. And as it puts here, as the Buddha said, thoughts are nutriment for craving. As long as you generate thoughts, you will feed craving. You don't believe it, you ask yourself, when you think, what do you think about? I think about enjoying. Lah. I think about how to siam the things I don't want. Lah. That's feeding craving. Then the next logical question, if you're following me, you know, it's a logical question. Then how to stop thinking? Ah? That should be the logical question, right? Next slide. In this practice, first you need to know what you're dealing with. This is the map of everything you need to know for start. Point, start point. I shall now call it blue lines. Yeah, lines are blue, ma. words are blue. Because after that, it's the red lines, okay? Remember these red parts, uh, they were the original parts. You recognize them? They were once blue, now they are red. Okay, these are the original part. This slide is about what to understand, to see in your practice, in your meditation, what is it you have to see so that you can understand, okay? Number one, each state, this, 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 the thought, the craving, the result, 
all of these states and how their link means depending on when the next arises. Depending on your sense base, the object contact with a consciousness feelings arise. Resting on feelings, pleasant, unpleasant, neither know. Thoughts arise. I want, I don't want. I want, and now let's figure out the nine steps to getting what I want. Then nine steps becomes nine A B, nine A one, nine A two. But you must adjust accordingly to get what you want. The proliferation of thoughts, all to satisfy craving. To see this in your daily life, then you say no need to see. I see a lot already. Well done. See some more. How they arise, particularly the dark pink ones, the thoughts, the craving, and the dukkha that comes about because of that craving. To actually observe as they arise, I'll explain to you why like this. For many of us, we actually don't see them arising. We usually in the thick of the dukkha before you realize something is happening. You you know what I'm saying? You get angry. How many of you get angry? All hands should go up, lah. Normal ones. <laughs> the ones who are not, I assume you didn't understand my question. I'm going to ask again. How many of you get angry? Yeah, we all do, right? You think getting angry is good or no good? Like Buddha would ask, good or no good? No good, right? Then why you do it, ah? <laughs> we all know no good. We all know. I also know. We all know getting angry is bad, bad for the mind. Stay in the mind. Stay in the mind. Yeah, I practice so hard. I'm supposed to stay in the mind. Stay in the mind. Ah, we say things like that. Then we get angry. Why? Did you ask yourself why? Why? Now I ask you, why do you get angry? Why? Huh? Action. Natural reaction. Natural reaction. It is natural. Yes. But there's a little bit more. Why do you get angry? Condition. Gao, are you very gao? Of course, it's condition. Actually, we get angry because there's one thing. There's craving. Okay, that's the condition. When there is something you want and you can't get, you will get angry. So it's all to do with one thing, but you never quite realize that, or we don't know until the, the Buddha said told us, and then we start looking for it. Then, and all kinds of negative, all kinds of negative sensations, and even positive ones. Have to do with some degree of wanting, especially the negative ones. Okay. To see how they arise is therefore very critical as part of the learning process to understand why they come up 
so that you know what to do. If you have never understood that the reason why you are angry is because of something you want, that don't tell me there's nothing I want. Then xiao liao angry. Why? Okay. So let's just say that you know there's something you want. Actually, the next question is, can you let that go? And you will say, cannot lah, very difficult. Okay, understand, understand. Because not yet. Just to see that condition first, the link. Okay? To see the link between craving, craving, and uh, whatever that pops up, that leads to anger, that leads to all kinds of unpleasant sensations. And how they cease. How many of you sitting down here have experienced and have experienced anger? Are you still angry? So along the way it ceases. Did you see it? The odds are you only realize you're no longer angry when you're no longer angry at some point. The odds are. So you actually never saw it go away. In this practice, is to catch it when it comes up and to see it when it's gone. Because there are some conclusions you have to form from that observation. Where does it come up? How does it disappear? And I can tell you again and again, and then the cow comes home, that you are, you, there is anger because of one thing, and it's when the one thing ceases that you feel lifted. That one thing ceased. Not the object, it's the one thing that ceases. And then you feel lifted. And still will get angry. It will still happen because the one thing you will say is very difficult. It will always come up. Yeah, because of feelings. Now, the other thing is this. If your mindfulness is very sharp, for those of you who go for a retreat, meditate all the time, you practice very hard, at some point you will realize that your mind is very sharp and in the moment. When it is in the moment, do you get angry easily? The odds are you won't. Because you're right there as it arises, as craving arises. And if you were right there when craving arises, and you say, it's okay, drop it. Right there. Not wait until the energy, the engine start already, fourth gear running 180 kilometers per hour, then you try to stop it. Too late. At that time, it will self-combust if you stop, try to stop it. You have to stop it before it start first gear. Right at the start. Okay? To see. You know, uh, here is not to know. Uh, the word I use is to see. It's a direct experience. You would have, if you had been attending classes, you would know the theory. But it doesn't mean you have seen how the mind works as it is. So, to know the state, each state, to see their links, 
to note how the state arises and how they cease, how the state arises and cease, that they can see, uh, cease, that they can see, you know, see and understand. That for each state, you also understand the key characteristics. They are impermanent. They are dukkha. That impermanence is dukkha. And that the whole process is anatta. In the practice to see these states, in the arising of the state. I am not saying something which is impossible to see. Let me just give you one example. How many of you breathe? <laughs> not a trick question. It's a very legitimate question. Just trying to figure out whether you're human and requires oxygen. We all breathe, right? Your current breath, and maybe about a second ago, that breath, uh, same or not? Two seconds ago, same or not? It's a slightly different one, right? It goes up, it goes down. It goes up, it goes down. That's impermanence. Uh. That's really impermanence. And if you try to fix it, let's see what happens when I don't breathe. Uh-huh, that's Dukkha. And are you in control? And therefore it is? Anatta. This is very simple. I won't claim credit. This one came from Kovita. Ante Kovita. Monk was here earlier. The same features, Anicca, Dukkha, Anatta, you see it in your thought process. My eye catches an image, I register the image, I like, I don't like, it's neutral. If I like, I want more of that image, I want to store it in my, oh, no phone, iPhone, in my iPhone, whatever phone that you have, my smartphone. I want to store the image, store the image so that I can see it again and again and again and again and I'm seeing really store the next image and I want to see it again and again and again. But every time you see it, it's a different time. It's a nature. It keeps changing. To see every movement, every change of scene in the mind as a new state. It keeps changing. And everything that is conditioned is changing. It can't stay still. You will, baby will be born, a baby will grow up, baby, you, you have grown up, and you will die. At a strategic level, it's change. So there's no stability as such. There is no stability as such. And because there isn't that stability, it is to occur. And this is a process you can't do anything about. It's a matter. You see that? And to see this in your thought process. See it. Not just know it. See it. 
And therefore, the whole thing is about conditionality. So if you recall, the blue lines, the blue words, which I said first, you need to understand to know that. That's how the mind works. It's static. It's just a map of how the mind works. Now look at the content and the interactions. It's dynamic now. When you start to understand the interactions within that mind, you, then, you will then become aware of this is what gives the dukkha. What they're trying to fix is ayah. Like that, how many? Reverse. Previous. This is dukkha. This is what we experience and this is what we don't want to experience. How do you... What do we want to do? We want to fix it. We want to reduce the dukkha that we keep experiencing. And to fix the dukkha, you have to, it's non-negotiable, you have to start to understand how they link and the features of those links, the characteristics of those links. You understand this? Yes? Can't go on until you kind of know what I'm saying. Any question up to here? Okay? The anicca, dukkha, anatta, the characteristics of the links. Okay? Every single mind state you experience cannot stand still. It lasts for a nanosecond and something else will take its place. That's what it means. Nothing you do can make it stand still. And because it doesn't stand still, in the process of keep shifting, it is very dissettling. It's very, sorry, unsettling. Ingram also gone. Very unsettling. Okay? And when you look at the whole process, no one's driving it. Just as I am affected by the process, you are affected by process. No one's driving it, it's just running itself, running by itself, a momentum, a rhythm by itself. You understand that first? Okay? Later. Your question always hard to answer. <laughs> okay? Hard or easy? <laughs> Complex one later. Only if it's about the chart and you want to check something about the chart. Is it about the chart? Okay. No, perception first. You see, you recognize, you, you, then you react. Ma. If you see, you don't recognize how to react, how to have a feeling that arises. Why don't you watch the mind? Spend the time watching the mind. My, my words could be wrong. Your experience may be different. Just watch the mind. Okay? Yes. Not there, you ask. You're supposed to ask only when it's there. <laughs> later, later. Later, okay? 
Okay, any other question? Chat, uh, chat base. Yes? Nibana. <laughs> Nibana. <laughs> you are right. Everything is conditioned. Everything here is conditioned. Can you see that now? Yes. The senses are also conditioned because if there were no sense, you can have that static object. But for it to, because this is about the mind, for you to register the object, this must be present, that must be present, this must be present, together there is an experience. So in that sense, it's conditioned. Eyeball also conditioned. You need your, the DNAs and the chromosomes and whatever it is. You, you basically need things for it to come into being. Okay? Got it? I don't see the word, cannot ask a question. Uh, okay. Yes. Yeah. Well done. Okay. Any other, anything else? Conditionality. The word conditionality means depending on conditions. Every state that you experience must rest on the previous state. Every mental state that you experience doesn't stand alone one. If it stands alone, it's been there forever. It will switch page by itself. It will switch page. I feel, I think, I react, I want, you know, the dukkha arises. They all, they keep switching. Even, even if we are talking about anger, right? Anger is just one mental state, right? And you say it feels forever. First and foremost, it feels forever because you're forever adding fuel. Normal anger will push. Hmm. Then you say, and then, huh? And then it will string again. Then you will say, and then, huh? Then it will again. You keep adding fuel, and therefore it feels like forever. But even then, it will still, di- it will still diminish until you run out of thoughts. Oh, very tired, must rest a while. So you run out of thoughts. And then you decide to go read something, eat something, call a friend. Call a friend is a problem because usually after you call a friend, right, you are rejuvenated and then you add more fuel. <laughs> and guess what we say? Ah, oh, ventilated, happy really. But your friend gonna by you. <laughs> you ventilated happy, your friend gonna. Why? Because your friend now has a lot of thoughts. You see that? This is what the Buddha meant when he said, Doing something that actually causes dukkha for yourself and for others. Your proliferation of thought is lethal. Toxic and lethal. So therefore, 
if you need to proliferate, please proliferate healthy thoughts, organic healthy thoughts. Okay? Last, not last, la, the third slide of the trilogy. Fix the mind. You recognize all these, huh? they're the same. Well, they're not identical because it depends on the typing and all. So it's basically the same, the mechanical part, the subjective part. And now you, you saw what happened, right? Everything leads to craving, everything leads to dukkha. So we got to fix that. Because you, want to, you, say, you say, I don't want dukkha anymore. I want to cut it. So the trick is to fix the dukkha. Different methods. All important. If you can, at the end of the slide, handphone ready. Number one, guard the sense faculties. According to the Buddha, when he taught his monk, his monks, the things that they do literally build the mindfulness to that sharp that it literally they are literally able to pack the awareness at when there is that contact. Guarding sense faculties actually mean you need to be aware of arising. Contact. See, okay. Hear, go. Smell, bole. Don't think. Because you start thinking, it's next step already. Right at the contact, it's a mechanical point. The, right up to that point, is mechanical. It will just like this. Do you or do you not react? In other words, guarding your sense faculties means you are so aware you are at that door, you don't react. No react, no react. Then you say, can me, 2,500 years, we can. <laughs> can work. The challenge is you can me doing the mindfulness practice. Okay? It's, why do we build the concentration skills on mindfulness and all? It's, it's not just to go still and then mm, see lies. Mm. It's not. It's really about sharpening the mindfulness, the awareness to a point where it, it, can, it is aware. It lives in the awareness. And in that awareness, you, you are aware of how your consciousness flips from object to object, and you don't react to the objects. Just aware, aware, object, see, hear, touch, taste, so on, so forth. And for most of us, it would usually be like this. See, 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 hear, see, 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 hear, smell, see, 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 see. The see, seeing, the seeing takes somewhat, I don't know, 60, 70% of your time for most of us. And then occasionally smell interjects, smell consciousness. Bulk of the time it's seeing, 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 hearing. Okay? And, and you got, guarding it means knowing when it arises and then at that point, let it be. Don't think, don't chase, let it be. Then you say, well, very difficult. Yeah, I know, I understand. We'll go to the next one, easier ones, okay? 
Now, this is the mechanical process. This is the part where if you are a practitioner, if you are a practitioner and you are practicing well, this is the part you can do. Right at that door, you stop the thinking process. For, for many of us, that is hard. Mindfulness is not that sharp. It is a lot harder. By the time you know it's all there. So what the Buddha taught, or a series of things to do, to reverse your conditioning thus far. And to, remember, if you recall, right, there is the mechanical part, yes? Then there's all the subjective part, right? And in the subjective part, there's one that says feeling. This set is to try and do something with the feelings. Because your thought processes start when you like or you don't like. Because it's pleasant or not pleasant, and therefore you like or you don't like. You see that? If it's pleasant, I lie, I want. If it's unpleasant, I don't like, I don't want. So you go to the point where you look at feelings and you try and change the way you see things so that the feelings becomes neutral. Hello? I can hear the pin drop. You, you understand what I'm saying? Do I need to repeat this? I will, I'll go into the, this in a, in a moment. But do you understand this part? Why it is like that? Because, because your dukkha, remember what we're trying to do is fix dukkha, right? Dukkha, dukkha, tsinchama, dukkha, dukkha. How you fix dukkha? How to let go? How to let go? How to fix dukkha? Ah, that's the part we're trying to fix. Huh? Dukkha arises because of craving. Craving arises because of thoughts. Thoughts arise because of yes. yes. <laughs> okay? And therefore, in this practice, these are words by the Buddha, not I came up with them. The Buddha talks about these reverse conditioning process to change your to neutral to neutralize the feelings so you don't feel so intensely and when you don't feel so intensely your craving wouldn't go crazy then dukkha gets moderated okay so what are the things that gave us a lot of problems the body now it is not just your body it is bodies form in other words it's form anybody's form when we look at another individual most of us the normal people will see a form as pleasant or unpleasant the normal ones and usually we will see it skin hair nice hair nice skin so soft you will say yes we see skin. How many of us? See, how many of us see blood <laughs> or muscles? Even less likely, you'll be seeing bones. You see the face, and you see bone. 
Because usually, if you're not trained, you're not practitioner, and all you see is bone, you are either psychotic, <laughs> you are a serial maker on the make, or there's something wrong with the, the object here that leads you to see things a bit distorted. But if you're a practitioner, it's a different story. Then you say, oh, maybe I practice a different life. Well, I don't know, la, different life, I have to say. Ma. But the point is, for many of us, you see, feeling has to do with the trigger of lights. Pleasant, not pleasant. It lights. Something you see and you enjoy. And then if it's someone that you love, the kids, your kids, your spouse, whatever, people that you love, lucky words. You see the form, you know see form. Straight away, you see something else. Now, the Buddha's method, see yourself. You are no more than elements. And better still, Buddha gave you the 32 parts that you don't like. If they are off, you don't like. If they are on you, you still like. Nails, you like. Hair, you like. It's only when they drop on the floor in your food, you don't like. But if it's growing on you, you still like. Yeah? Agree? Yeah. So, the Buddha wants you to become aware that, and you keep telling yourself, this is actually really telling yourself, I am made out of all these parts, and, and from the goose, the, from the not so pleasant, the, the, what, the unattractive ones, from the unattractive ones, you work, you work it into the ones that you have never seen really, but it's there somewhere. Your organs. You understand? And if you can do this to yourself and to another, at some point you look at another body and you are not so affected. And you say, is this part of the practice? Yes. Is it necessary? Well, it depends on you. Lah. Because there are others, nah. you can choose others to do. But there is a reason for this. Buddha said, for the ones who are most lustful, wake up only lustful, go to bed still lustful, those type, constantly look at the form as it is. Basically, it's looking at the body as it is. Buddha didn't need anything that's not there. He didn't come up with organ eggs. Everything he listed are in you. It's just that our mind has been conditioned. The mind has been conditioned to see only the attractive. You see that? And it's like that. Maybe the reason, I don't know why the mind is conditioned to see only the attractive. Maybe, maybe it's because you, me, all of us have been programmed to procreate to reproduce ourselves. Survival of the species. In order for the species to survive, you cannot look at each other as body parts. <laughs> How do you say, I love you, liver? <laughs> it's inconceivable. Oh, I'm so in love. Usually we see we love the heart, right? The heart. Who puts a liver? Or worse, put stomach, with the intestines and all. So the moment it comes to body parts, we're not interested. Maybe that's the reason why our brain, our mind has been programmed to only look for the attractive. 
so that you will be tempted, not that it takes a lot to tempt, but you will be tempted to reproduce yourself. Maybe it's that. Okay? We don't really know. Maybe it is because from young, because the mind, the mind likes pleasant, the mind doesn't like unpleasant, along the way, the mind decided, this is pleasant, I like to look at it again and again, it's pleasant. Because we all know babies, they have done studies and they notice that babies take a look at an attractive person, it takes a longer look at an attractive person. So if the baby see and turn, you know the problem. <laughs> if the baby see and see and see, you say, all right, smile Maybe, who knows? I don't know. But I know that that's your habit, that's your instinct. The way to fix it is reverse psychology. Change it. Reverse conditioning. Okay? So that's about the body. Do mitigate desires. Repulsion, revulsion in the, un, in the attractive, non-revulsion in the unattractive. Meaning to say, if you see something as attractive, this is actually thought generation. Huh? These are thought generations, you notice that? Most time you say, don't think, don't think. Fix bad habits. We make use of the tools presented by the mind against the mind. And the mind capacity to think, to construct thought, Buddha said, use it wisely. This is about using the mind capacity to talk, construct wisely. So, something that is very attractive, why is it attractive? It's a subjective thing. You see it, you like it. Buddha says, see the unattractiveness of it, the revulsion of that which gives you delight. Okay? And if it is unattractive, Try to switch it around to see non-revulsion. Then you say, hey, hey, we're not supposed to. You're not supposed to like or dislike. Whether you want or you don't want is one. Understand? I don't want you here. Then that's a normal one. No, you want the person not to be here. That is a one. Any form of one is dukkha. So if you see something as ugly, unattractive, the instinct is to want it to go away. I want you not to be here. Go away. If you see something as attractive, you want it to be here. You want it. Come, come, come. Sit here, sit here. Okay? So, telling your mind, reverse the habit. Change the habit. The third one, unattractiveness of food. You know, we spend a third of our time awake on food. And for the ones who are cooking for the family, it goes up by another 10-20% more. We bond over food. We drive long distance for food. How many of you have gone to Malaysia looking for food? Shy, never mind lah. Durian also count. <laughs> Normal, because, because food that goes in and touches the tongue is a very powerful impact on 
nice the mind or not nice it's very powerful we set up blog page talking about food then you don't even have to taste you see you're happy can you see how powerful it is actually again it has some it has something to do with it has something to do with survival survival of the species but what started off is trying to keep you alive becomes a little out of control and it becomes an obsession why do i say that how many of you enjoy that smell durian aside <laughs> cheese aside how many of you enjoy that you mean to say if you smell lovely we don't right do you know why because programmed into your DNA the knowledge that if it's a bad smell, it's spoiled, it can kill you. So when the nose smells something unpleasant, it's a bad smell, you want to get away from it because intuitively, instinctively you're told this, this is deadly. But over time, we get very carried away and we want good smell, good taste. Even if a food is spoiled and you taste it, it will taste bad, taste awful. So basically, what started off as a defense mechanism becomes a killer machine on the mind because it keeps you going. It, it pulls up your desires a lot. So to look at food as, a, as, as unattractive, wonderful uh, imagery. It's found in the nutriments. It's called, the sutta is called nutriments. It's in the Samyutta Nikaya. And in that, in that sutta, the Buddha taught his monks to look at food as if they are chewing on the flesh of their beloved son. In our world, beloved daughter also can. So as you chew, if you were to bear in mind the idea that this is the body parts of your beloved child, you ain't going to, <laughs> nice. Right? You are going to, oh, it's all faster. Don't taste, don't taste. Taste really, I think develop a taste for it, also good. You don't say. Why do that? Why go to that kind of extreme? Because your mind is a very powerful desire machine see something it likes it will chase it's very difficult to break a, a delight in food so for such a powerful grip you need a sledgehammer to break it okay and then it goes into non-delight in all the world everything that you take delight in you have to tell yourself it's not delightful then you say, how? How? Let me give you a sneak preview of the next slide. But this is how. You see, how many of you here believe in rebirth? The rest of you, not sure, is it? You believe in rebirth, right? Even though osteoporosis made it difficult for the hand to go up. <laughs> but you believe in rebirth, right? You all do, right? Okay. 
How many of you are damn sure that in your next rebirth you're going to the Dewa realm? <laughs> Don't know lah, modesty lah, you ask like that. Hope lah, hope, huh? Okay, maybe reborn no less than like, like now lah. Reasonable? Uh, reborn no less than like now lah, huh? Okay. How many of you are so sure it will happen like that? For the next life? Oh, quite, quite confident lah. After that? After that, don't know what happened next life, lor. Then after, after that, well, lagi don't know what happened, lor. You see what I'm saying? If you believe in rebirth, you will come again and again. If you come again and again, you guarantee like that. Or somewhere else. Or you don't know. You're not sure. You're completely unsure. The cravings that we harbor, the cravings, that craving energy that we have, is what will spark birth, becoming. Again and again, that craving will spark becoming. If you bear this thought in mind, perhaps you wouldn't be so indulgent towards craving that arises. You understand? If you, if you accept and you believe that there is rebirth, and you accept and you believe that rebirth is conditioned, it's driven by craving. And if we don't fix this craving habit, in the life that you have the Dhamma, in the life that you have access to the Dhamma, you don't fix this craving, you sure in a life where you don't know for sure you have Dhamma, you can fix it. Then you end up slight a little bit, how? Still human, but slight a little bit. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, how? Ah, <laughs> uh, how? So you see what I'm saying? It's when you bury your head in the sand and happily pretend that you can breathe through sand. So long, okay. But if you, you don't, you take things at a certain, from a certain angle, you then will say something that triggers delight is scary. That's the meaning behind this non-delight in all the world. The mind that realizes that you really can't control. You can try and create conditions and hope for the best. But you can only do it for this condition, this life and this, these conditions. You're not sure what's coming up next. And when you reflect like this, you will tell yourself, delighting it's not a good thing because it will continue to lead to becoming. It's when you see that, when you accept that, then every time there is a craving, you tell yourself, non-delight in all the world. Non-delight, non-delight. You say that, okay? What is it trying to fix? It's trying to fix the mind capacity to chase after delights. Someone made the point, yeah, like that got no meaning in life. Exactly. <laughs> if you think about it, you think about it. If, if you look at all these things and you accept them, okay, you start telling yourself, foulness of the body, everything attractive, not attractive, unattractive food, non-delight, all the way. You keep doing this to yourself, at some point you will say, Where is the pleasure in life? Ayah Ayala, ayala, yeah. You want to fix, ma? 
Okay, this this is actually reverse psychology. Okay. Okay, the last two easier, less painful. A nature it all condition things. This one you know already. Yes, I don't have to convince you, right? You know already. The last one is a tricky one. Not mine. Not I. Non-self. Whatever experience that you have, you actually tell yourself, not mine, not I, no self. When you keep saying that, initially you also don't believe. You say only, you don't believe. But if you don't start saying, it will never happen for you. But if you start doing, start saying with the practice, the meditation, the the mindfulness practice, the reading the sutta, etc., 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 and you keep going this, not mine, not I. One day you're going to look at something and say, "Hang on, I'm beginning to get it. I'm beginning to get, not mine. This is the easiest one. Not mine. In fact, it's actually not difficult to say not mine. Let me let me share this with you. Tomorrow you die." Lucky this audience, mature and wise. Otherwise, the joy will come out on the right side. <laughs> Tomorrow you die. Okay, you bringing your your possession with you. Which one? Oh, I want to bring my car. Can you burn it? It's just going to be burned metal. Nothing that you own, you can bring along. Therefore, you don't own it. You have. Temporary lease rights. Temporary lease rights. You have the right to use it. All you own is rights to use, but you don't own it. And even the owning the right thing, ah,、uh, it really depends, ah.、Uh. Why does what does it depends? If it's in your possession, I mean, when you're holding it, it's yours, lah. But if you put it on the table, someone else can hijack your right to use. So. Yes, in our mind we we own things, but the reality is no. But this is not about the possession out there. It's actually here. It's also about the possession, your hands, your legs. Then you say, "Yeah, but that one mind what?" Until you get a stroke, lor. Once you get a stroke, you tell your hand move up. Hey, hello. Today no one listen to me, idea.、Right、move, one finger. Move. It doesn't work. It only work. It works only when the conditions are right. Take away the conditions, nothing works. So what's yours? And if you don't own you, what you own your kid? That one a separate galaxy, right? Absolute different constellation. You see what I'm saying? So we we are therefore deluded. We live in a world of delusion, which we so happy perpetuate for ourselves and for others. Your son, ah,、uh, how he do, ah.、Uh, your daughter, ah,、uh, getting married already or not? Ah,、huh? we perpetuate. See, your son, your daughter, your don't know this, that, other. We perpetuate for each other. Then I hear already, also happy. Yeah, my son, ah, ah, na, 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 na. You, you see, I'm saying. Oh, we also going have. We also very happy about our body. My body very strong. Your body, leh. 
but my cholesterol off. All yours. It's it's a, it's very interesting how our mind shortcut and then have all kinds of assumptions, and that becomes our deluded world. If if all these delusions do not give you grief, if they don't give you pain, so what's the big deal? Deluded law. But if they give you pain, which we do feel pain, right? We feel angst about some of these things. Then the delusion is a problem. Get it? This is only the second box. The third series. It's a constant reminder of the big picture. It's to fix your craving. You see, uh, if you can't check feeling, uh, let's go look at craving, see what you can do with craving. Okay? If you tell yourself this, I will die. We'll grow old, we'll get sick, we will die. We'll be separated from the people we love. Just these two alone, you take one step back from your craving. Yes, I feel it. I still feel it. You know, I still feel for food, but you take one step back and say, hey, your craving got to just, it's okay, like, it's okay, we'll trim it a bit. You, you understand? This is how it works. The earlier series is to try and fix the feeling part, change the way you feel about things. This one is too late already, your feeling is there, eh? I still love, I still love. We'll all die. Oh, yeah, maybe not love so much. Lah. <laughs> See what I'm saying? You still have your feelings, but you get a big picture, you take one step back and you go, moderate, moderate, let's do something about that. Okay? Separated from all the loves and all. Okay, and the last little bit here is seeing the correlation between craving and dukkha. Meaning to say, if you tell yourself, the more I want, the more I experience dukkha. So if I want to have less dukkha, I better learn how to moderate once. It works, huh, by the way. For those of you who is skeptical, you know, skeptical, my needle name, name that, that one. If you are skeptical, you just try. Just try. Simple one. For instance, um, getting from point A to B. I want to get there in 20 minutes. I want to get there in 20 minutes. For the entire journey, you're going to have to go. Sean, can't, can't, traffic light, chip. You will have all kinds of, you will have all kinds of conversation. But if you say, if you, if you tell, if you remember the Dhamma, you tell yourself, oh, wait, I'm supposed to moderate craving. Never mind, I'll never mind, give yourself enough five minutes. It will reduce the sense of dukkha, the sense of urgency, the sense of restlessness, the sense of anxiety, and so on and so forth. It will reduce that. This is a science of the mind, okay? This is a science of the mind. This is not a theory. This is just how the mind works. And the last one is this box at the bottom. This, in order that you really could fix everything well, it is very helpful to develop the skill.
skill of mindfulness with understanding, clear understanding. This clear understanding bit has to do with the Dhamma talks, I mean, the Dhamma that the Buddha talked about. Anicca, Dukkha, Anatta, you know, things are impermanent, you crave a lot, you will experience pain, everything is very mechanical, there's, there's all these organic processes, it just happened like that. You understand that, you develop that understanding to be able to see things in perspective. So it, it goes down to you eating at the hawker center and with the food that comes in, I'm, there is tasting, there's contact, feeling arises, you actually do things like that. And you know in your mind that this is Dhamma. This is what the Buddha talk about. And it will slowly but gradually trim your craving. Your mind is another. Whether you believe it or not, your mind is another. What does it mean? Your mind, in fact, actually the science have proved it, that the mind is another. Science has proved that mind is another. While you are sleeping, I kind of repeat it again. <laughs> Why is that? What does it mean? You know, if you, you know how they have done all kinds of experiments with people with uh, mental issues, depression, depression, and then they make them do certain activities. For instance, writing down all the things to be grateful for. Number two, um, actually teach them the skill of mindfulness. Teach them a bit of a mindfulness skill. 10 minutes, not one hour, just 10 minutes, 10 minutes, 10 minutes. And then every time they think of something and it's unpleasant, they feed them something pleasant to reverse that, that, that connection, the unpleasant wire. Over time, they actually recover. They, they feel better. What's happening? The brain. All these wirings are rewiring. And as it rewires, your experience will change. Your reaction, your reaction will affect the wiring. The wiring will affect your experience. So what the Buddha has taught 2,500 years ago was to teach us how to rewire. Of course, at that time, he couldn't show MRI. But he, saw, he was in that time teaching rewiring so that when the person, having rewired, experiences a very different, have a different experience, they will develop faith. The method works. This is what we have to keep doing. And when we keep doing these things, the rewiring continues. And then more and more and more until one fine day, with the completion of the new, new uh, renovation, you're a new man. You're literally a new man. That's what happened to these guys. Okay? So, bottom line, these are the four broad categories. Wait, not yet, not yet, yet. I got picture, better picture. Wait, ah. Alamak. Sorry, better picture late. The last one, you wait. So to sum up, first you need to know that mental, that, that process, the thought process. To know is the deep, 
initially at least understand this conceptually. Meaning today, start point, if this is the first time you're hearing a lecture on the Buddha's Dhamma, conceptually see this and understand this. Flowchart. In the course of your journey, you have to learn to see intuitively, meaning you actually experience and then go, oh, this means this. You experience, you taste and say, contact, object, consciousness, feeling arises, etc., etc. You actually experience it. So that you can, it, 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 it at least affirms for you, Buddha wasn't talking out of his head, not that he had one. It was actually for real, he was describing the mind. Okay? And then, specific to, specific to the Buddha's teaching. You see, earlier on, whether or not there is a Buddha, the mind works like that. Earlier on, the blues, the blues like, the blue words. Whether or not there's Buddha, the mind works like that. This red one is uniquely Buddha's teaching. This is what you have to do. You have to see the links, you have to see how they arise, how they cease, know they cease, see the features, the conditionality. This is Buddha's contribution. And above all is this one. What's the point of saying, die la, your mind like that, what to do? Do you understand what, <laughs> okay, after the paparazzi episode, you see, if the Buddha had stopped at slide two and end the story there, then what's the point? I know my mind, I know I am trapped, I'm, I am stuck, then what? Uh? If it ends at point two, it's still helpful, better than end at point one. If, it had, if the Buddha had ended at slide one, it's no big deal, he's a modern psychologist. If it ends at point two, the second slide, it's better. Now you know why you are stuck. Then what? What can you do about that? I see the links. I see how they arise. I see how they cease. I understand the conditionality. Then what? Uh? You see that? It's this number three. Number three, the way out. So when the Buddha says, I teach Dhamma and, the, and uh, I teach you Dukkha and the way out, this is the way out. Everything in the whole, in the whole, uh, from the, in the whole lecture, from beginning to the end, to know, to see, to fix. Uh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Reverse, reverse, reverse. Everything from beginning to the end, this is an Eightfold Path. When we say the Eightfold Path, it's not just eight spokes. All these. The Eightfold Path. You will know when you get started in the practice, which part is which part of the path. And to believe in the Eightfold Path, to believe in the Dhamma, what does it mean? I, I accept what the Buddha taught 
about the correlation between dukkha and craving. I believe it is possible for craving to cease such that dukkha doesn't arise anymore. And I buy his method to fix the mind. It can be done. That's what it means to be a student of the Buddha and of the Dhamma. Okay? It is not just Four Noble Truth, Eight Four Pa, Past Exam already. It is not there. It's knowing what they mean and what must be done and what will happen after you have walked the path. Okay? You want a break? Or we just go straight to the questions? Well, you can take a break while we take questions. Your view, your question is, is craving, is, uh, is ambition bad or good? Should we have it or not? Okay. Context first. Huh? First and foremost, the, when the Buddha taught, unveiled this observation, it was about a very specific, it was for a very specific purpose that we experience pain and invariably in our life there will be many episodes where we experience pain unpleasantness 
Thought suffering, dukkha, the word dukkha actually means unpleasantness, unsatisfactoriness. And it's exactly the correct, it's a, it's a better translation. Meaning, you are never completely happy. You're never completely satisfied. Every degree of happiness, if you like, every degree, every time there is that, you will say, not quite it. There's that sense that, there's this niggling sense that it's not really happiness. You can have, you can have many episodes where you derive delight, enjoyment. There's no doubt about that. But all these episodes don't last. So for the ones who are more reflective, they begin to ask themselves, so what is it, but what is all this for? Because you feel that it doesn't last, you feel that every sense of gratification lasts for the duration of that sensation. And then after the sensation is over, you remember a memory of that sensation. You bring up that memory of that sensation to give you a shadow of the delight. And after a while, even the shadow not enough, you will go and try and recreate so that you get to enjoy that sensations again. But the sensation you enjoy the second time may not rival the first time. I don't remember it like that. I thought it was better, you know, that sort of. Because nothing is as good as memory. So what happened then is this continues relentlessly. From cradle to grave, this is what we go through, looking for the next delight, happiness. Delight equal happiness in our simple mind. You delight, you happy, ma. Therefore, delight is happiness. It's a simple, it's a simple, not, not stupid, simple. It's a simple conclusion. But, but it is not like that. Because the period when you are chasing it is the period you don't know you are experiencing dissatisfaction. You think that you are actually enjoying the chase. But in effect, you're not enjoying the chase. You are enjoying the hope associated with the results you want. It's the hope that is giving you the delight, not the actual chase itself. The chase is not so fun. Ah. Because don't have, don't have, not yet, not yet, not yet, not yet. <laughs> now I got it. Okay, next one. Now, Buddha was trying to help the individual fix that problem, that niggling sensation of dissatisfaction. He wasn't saying it's wrong. He wasn't saying it's right. It was just like that. You have this niggling problem of dissatisfaction because of this particular habit. And as this habit of wanting grows, the sensation of dissatisfaction will grow. Then it is the individual who must decide for himself what is too much. 
too much and I don't want it. Because nobody can be happy with being unhappy. Yes? You, it's not possible. If, if you are in a job, let me just give you one example. You are in a job, it pays you really well. But every day you go back stressed. And the weekend flies because you are dreading Monday. And now they tell you, you did such a wonderful job, I'm going to promote you. And you stare and you go, well, I like the title, but I'm going to, no more weekend already. Uh. Earlier on, you still got weekend, but you dread Monday, remember? You take this new elevated position and there goes your holiday and Monday. Nah, nah, nah. Then you must ask yourself, la. you will, worth it or not? La? Worth it or not? That's when there is that realization I have to balance between what pain is too much and, and what my ego would like. That balance. And it's for the individual to decide. Buddha never say, you cannot. La. He never told another pindika, hey, you should give up all your wealth, or you silly man. Why do you want to be a millionaire? Go ahead. He never did that. He's just saying, look, I'm showing you this problem. You can call it a built-in genetic problem. And I found the virus, the Buddha said. This is the virus. So we haven't fixed the virus. Unfortunately, it has to be done like this. And, and, and then it's the individual who then must decide what's the balance that is best, that he's happiest with. Okay, so that's point one. Point number two. Unfortunately, uh, if, you, if you believe, if you believe in rebirth, okay, if you believe in rebirth, unfortunately you die, but you don't die, law. Die already, still not die. And this thing will go on and on and on. If you don't believe in rebirth, it's okay. You just have to fix the happiness in this life. I find the right balance, sweet. This is my sweet spot. Then you just go there. Cruise to the end. Mati happiness. <laughs> but if you believe in rebirth, if you believe in rebirth, then you say, si liao, start again. The baby cry, I start again. <laughs> I thought it was all over. <laughs> the, point, the point is, if you believe in rebirth and you realize that it's this problem with the virus, it's a virus that like, it goes round and round. What's that, what's, that, what's that malicious loop, is it? Ah, it's like a malicious, it's Groundhog Day in a lifetime. That's when it gets problematic. La. It really depends on the individual to decide which is the one that he finds unacceptable, which is the one he would rather fix. So it's all the individual. Third point, and it's to answer this thing about ambition. Okay, specific to the practice, the, the Buddhist, this ambition thing. Buddha never said ambition was wrong. Buddha merely said craving is a problem. You understand that, right? So if you, the individual, still wish to pursue something, he only asks of you, don't do it at the expense of another. 
because there will then be consequences to your minds and to others' minds that you may not even be able to mop up. That's all he's saying. So you, you want to pursue your ambition, bearing in mind all the attendant cravings and therefore the curve comes along. That's the individual's choice. I can take it. What's your problem? Okay, fine. Go. But don't do it at the expense of others because then there will be all kinds of consequences that you may not want to pay back. You may not want to meet the cost. Okay? Labeling, label. You see something, you know what, knowing, recognizing what it is. And if your mind is sharp enough, if you're mindful enough, you're sharp enough, you will note that at the point when you label, it's not necessarily the point where you start to construct. It's slightly after that. Apple, I want. I love apple. Juicy red apple. See, this was red, it's nice and juicy. The construction starts after that. But where it is apple, orange, black, white, these are labeling. You are trying to understand the word perception from our modern lingo. But no, this is Sanya. Sanya has to do with just one of recognition. Recognition. Okay? So you recognize something, it will trigger memory of that thing. From the memory of whatever it is, you will pull back your memory, pleasant, unpleasant, it all comes back very fast. But it is from the memory. You draw it out from a bank account in there that leads you to react. But the actual part where you label, it's nothing, it's just a label. And you can stop it there. You can say, okay, Apple, that's it. Stop, stop the thought construction, that's it. It can happen. Can if you're that level of sharpness, yes. <laughs> it can be done. Into that level, that requires the meditation and the mindfulness practice. It can be done. See seeing, that's it. No label. Okay? Uh, this question is regarding the non, not mine, non, uh, not I, and non-self. Because in the chanting, usually you say, uh, I'm the heir of my karma, and uh, I provide support of my karma. So, in relation to that, those we actually kind of possess our own karma. So, how do you kind of uh, negotiate that understanding? Yeah. You see, uh, let me ask you this. First of all, there are two separate things, okay? Uh, when you say, not I, not mine, not self, 
it is essentially your, your mind being very detached, very objective, looking at something and reflecting on what is it intrinsically that is yours. The mind instinct, actually it's, your, it's the mind habit. The mind habit is to generate an essence to say that based on these generated essence, based on this generated essence, things belong to it. It is for, for I, I like to use the word cloak, cloak hang, hanger. You know, where you hang hats, hang clothes, hang whatever things on it. When you say, for, for you to have a sense of continuity, essentially it's for the mind to have a sense of continuity, you generate in the mind something to own this continuity. In reality, you only live now. Now is when you live. The past is in your memory. The future is your plan. It's planning, it's construction. So future is constructed. Past is what was stored, grey cells. Only now, at this point, do you live. But because you can remember the past, and because you have the capacity to plan for tomorrow, where you are concerned, there is a time continuum. In this time continuum, who lives? So you create in instinctively or structurally, I don't know how the brain works, it creates an idea of something to hold and behold this continuum. You understand that? Because if you look at yourself, right, is the past real? It's only real in your mind because my memory of the past may be very different from your memory than which is real. What is real? Real is only something you store up. I mean, not real. Uh, the, map, the past is something stored in the databases that is carried around. Then the future, luggy not there. It's all constructed. I plan, you plan, I have my own plans, you have your own plans, and we happen to live together, so it's our plan, which is sometimes quite different. But because there is this impression of time continuum, you need to take out a name to store this. And where you are concerned, that thing which was created to store things and plan these things, that thing where you are concerned becomes real. Experiences is momentary. We say anicca. Driven by its own momentum, which is anatta. But we don't see it like that. We see that time continuum and we say, but it's all there. The past is real, the future will come, will come as planned. It's all real. So then you create the idea of a self to hold all these thoughts together. Okay? Now, when you have, as you progress in life and you respond to the events around you, do you notice the habits it forms? The habits that form, that are formed? You always grumble, 
for whatever reason you start grumbling then you, you grumble and you grumble and you grumble and everything is negative at some point someone is going to call you grumpy or whatever but by now it's too late because you have formed up here the AYE to grumblehood <laughs> it's, it's right there it's a habit you can't break it you see you it's actually your neural pathways your chemicals that you have been producing that leads you to feel this way and therefore you behave like this and because when I say when we say I am the heir of all my actions the meaning is you will bear the consequences of all these negativities or positivities that you have produced again and again and again they're all in your little neural pathways it's not silver so this is science so you are the heir of what's what you have been producing karma means action and choices for as long as you are here and now the world will also react to you after the world has had your wonderful treatment that's the world will remember so they will react to you in that way and therefore the reverberations of what you had done and it goes on and on and on okay so two very different ideas they're not contradictory okay thank you sister and thank you brothers and sisters for coming